Hope you guys are well. For those who don't know me, I am Adam Cummins, the assistant pastor here. Recently, the church um, was looking for a young, hip dude with really good hair. And all those guys were employed, so you ended up with me. So you're stuck with me. I'm sorry. Um, I'm about to say something that's probably going to be a little bit shocking coming from a guy in a suit. But let me just tell you, I grew up about an hour south of here in the free state of Winston County, Alabama. Um, in Double Springs, which is a town of about a 1,000. So maybe this statement won't be as shocking now. I love Merle Haggard, okay? Well, I love his music. Um, and kids, Merle Haggard, he's an old country music singer, okay? And if you don't know that, just see me after the service and I'll reprimand your parents for poor parenting if you don't know who he is. But one of his biggest songs he released in, in 1981, it was called, Are the Good Times Really Over for Good? And it's this song that he's just, uh, Merle is, you can hear despair in his voice. And he feels like the culture is in this massive decline. And the things he sings about, he, he wants the pace of life to slow down. He wants things to work like they're supposed to work. He is worried about the decline in patriotism and that his civil liberties are being taken away. And he begins to start saying, is this whole culture just kind of headed downhill? And it's funny that that was 40 years ago. And our culture is still singing that song. I mean, maybe not with those exact words, but especially... Conservatives, especially Christians, we begin to look at the culture and we start to sweat and worry and fret. And we think, man, it's all going downhill. Like the good times are definitely over for good. And we start pining for kind of days gone by. And my question, I think, to us is, as God's people, when we respond to the culture and suffering, and look, I'm not saying things are not ominous as we look at the culture. I mean, with COVID and culture wars and gender issues and politics, we're so divided. It's so, um, there, there's just suffering and pain at every turn. And so I'm not saying that's not there. What I'm saying is, how do we respond to that? Do we respond like Merle, with despair, agony, just wish we could turn back the clock, back to pre-COVID, back in the good old days, we might say. What does that communicate to a lost world when believers respond in that way? That's the question I really want us to kind of think about and unpack, that as we interact with these things going on in our culture and we respond to those do we do that with panic, anger, outbursts, anxiety? Because the way we respond really does speak very loudly to our culture. We say we serve a God who is all-powerful, all-knowing. He's everywhere. He's, he's supreme. He's sovereign. He holds all things together. And then yet the way we respond to some of these things that we're going through 
communicate something very different to the world. Back in the Old Testament, Israel was set apart as the nation that was to be the example for all the other nations around it. In other words, the way Israel lived their lives, the other pagan nations were supposed to look at Israel and say, that's how you're supposed to follow God. And we know their story. Their story is really our story. There's a lot of ups and downs. Seems like a lot more downs than ups with Israel. And they were supposed to be the example. And yet when pagan nations looked at how Israel followed the Lord, or their lack of following the Lord, that communicated something to those nations, something negative about the Lord. When we come to Psalm 135, and that's where we're at this morning, if you want to turn in your Bibles. We come to Psalm 135. This is a song of ascent. And what this means is as the, the Jewish people were going into Jerusalem to worship, to go to the temple to meet with God where His presence dwelled, they would look up on Mount Zion and they would see the temple and they would begin to sing songs of praise as they moved toward that time of worship. The writer says, Each generation that sings this would be strengthened in their faith and their loyalty to the Lord, and they would deepen their gratitude toward Him for their privileges. And that's exactly what I want us to see this morning. That as we leave here and we enter back into that world that is so broken that our faith would be strengthened, that our loyalty to God would increase, as would our praise of Him. So let me read Psalm 135, and I know it's 21 verses, but just hang in there with me. It's worth it. So Psalm 135, Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing to His name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for Himself, Israel, as His own possession. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does, in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. He it was who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and of beast, who in your midst, O Egypt, sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants, who struck down many nations and killed mighty kings, Sion, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and all the kingdoms of Canaan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to his people Israel. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, throughout all ages. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. O house of Israel, bless the Lord. 
O house of Aaron, bless the Lord. O house of Levi, bless the Lord. You who fear the Lord, bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord from Zion, who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Let me pray for our time. Father, we thank you for this encouragement from the psalmist to praise you. It was the reason we were created. And so would you help us to fulfill that? Our very purpose for being here, Father, is to worship you. And Father, even in the midst of times that we don't understand, in the face of opposition, would you help us above all things to praise you, to worship you? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So three questions that I really want to kind of explore as we look through this psalm. One is, who do you praise? And these questions I want you to really ponder and wrestle with. Secondly, why do you praise? And then third, what do you praise? And there's obviously going to be a lot of overlap, but if you're a preacher, you have to have three points or they'll fire you. And we just got here. So, um, But I think it's important that before we answer those questions that we kind of have a working definition of what praise is. Um, It's used a dozen or so times in this one psalm, so it seems to be fairly important to the psalmist. Really, the essence of this Hebrew word is is radiance. It it's kind of c- carries with it this idea of like when when uh, somebody in a play or somebody's on stage and they throw the spotlight on that person. That is praise. That's what this word really kind of means to, and it means to kind of radiate um, that light and throw it onto something of great value. We get the word hallelujah from this word, so that might be helpful. John Calvin said that there's no sacrifice in which God takes greater delight than the expression of our gratitude. And so really what praise is is when our hearts really see God, really see Christ and experience Him, and it begins to well up gratitude and thanksgiving. That is really what praise is. And so... I think the first question, who do you praise? I mean, we know the answer, right? I mean, you're sitting in church on a Sunday morning. You know the answer is, is God. Um, but I want to I just make this statement and see if this resonates with you, that you praise those things in which you believe and trust. That we tend to praise, cast light on um, those things that we really believe in. So, for instance, if, if there are those politicians or talking heads that you don't particularly care for, then you certainly don't praise those. You don't, you don't cast light on them. Hey, listen to this person. We t- tend to do the opposite. You know, don't listen to the thing this guy says. Okay? Um, and so it, it's obviously abundantly clear in Psalm 135 that the psalmist is trusting in Yahweh. When you see the word Lord, and it's used multiple times in this psalm with those little capital letters, that should take us back to Exodus 3, where Moses is in this conversation with, with God who's appeared as this burning bush, and Moses is saying, look, these guys are going to ask, Moses, who sent you to be our leader? 
what am I supposed to tell them? And the Lord says to Moses, tell them I am sent you. And what God is communicating here is he's the eternal God, the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end. The, I've always existed. He's, he's communicating that he's all-powerful, all-knowing, uh, just as we had mentioned earlier. He is perpetually unchangeable in holiness and goodness and truth. That is what every time the psalmist says, praise the Lord, that's who the psalmist is saying, cast your light on Yahweh. And I think our, my question then is, are we, are we doing that? As believers, as the example to all the other nations, when we're faced with difficulty, things that to us make no sense, do we respond with that kind of praise? Or do we do like the Israelites did as they were wandering through the desert? Do we murmur and complain and fret and get angry? Oftentimes it's, um, it's easy in one sense, and that's probably not the right word, to trust the Lord for our salvation. In other words, we, we know that it's not by works that we are saved. That is by grace through faith. And so we trust the Lord with that. The problem, in one sense, becomes how do we trust and can we trust the Lord with all the other things in our lives? What about our struggles at work or in our marriage or even the loneliness I'm experiencing? It seems harder sometimes to trust the Lord with those things than even with our salvation. But He is eternal and all-powerful. He is I am. He certainly can be trusted not only with our salvation, but with all these other struggles that we have. Second question, why do we praise? Okay, This could be answered in a multitude of ways, right? Why do we praise? But I think the short answer is in verse 4, where the psalmist writes, For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself. Israel as his own possession. Now, back in Genesis 15, God has made a covenant with Abraham and said, I will make you as numerous as the stars in the sky. Your family will be a blessing to all families and nations. Well, in Genesis 35, Abraham's grandson Jacob is renamed Israel. So when we read that, Again, we're connected to that covenant of faithfulness from the Lord. And every time that somebody, somebody's eyes are opened and they put their faith and their trust in the Lord, they're part of this ongoing covenant, that it hasn't ended. And when they take hold of Christ by faith, they really are part of that fulfillment of that covenant all the way back in Genesis 15. And so when the psalmist mentions Jacob and Israel, he's, he's talking about us. Because often we read these psalms and we see these Old Testament names and we think those promises were for those people. And that's just not true. You, if you're trusting in Christ, you're part of that covenant. If you're saved, you are one of those people that God has chosen to be his possession.
Now, all that we have going on, sometimes we forget that. I think that is a real enemy to our faithfulness is our forgetfulness of how loving and caring and committed God is to us. And so maybe you're here and you're doubting. You're hearing these things and you're, we're talking about praising the Lord and you're saying, I, I, don't, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can do this Christianity thing. I'm getting ready to, to walk out. There's just too much pain, too much suffering, too many unanswered questions. I don't know, given my situation and my circumstance, if God even really loves me. And if that's you, I want to read from Deuteronomy 7, 6-9, through 9, where God describes His commitment to us, His people. This is Deuteronomy 7, 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord, your God. Now, holy here is not squeaky clean. Okay, it's not without blemish. It just means these people have been set apart. God's marked these people out and said, these people are mine. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set His love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that He swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh the king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations. Why do we praise? Because of that. Because Not because of our great numbers or our or our um, great faithfulness, but because the Lord in His mercy carved out a people for Himself and He's committed and faithful to those people regardless of the circumstances. And when we read verses like this, we ought to fall on our face and say, Thank you, Lord. Because we couldn't get to this point on our own. We couldn't be saved by our own works or our family tree. That it is His mercy. And He chooses to love you regardless of your baggage, regardless of the consistency of your quiet times, regardless of your past. There's nothing that you can do to stop the Lord from loving you. We don't think about that enough. But, but look at verse 6 in Psalm 135. It says, whatever the Lord pleases, He does. That's what it means to be Yahweh. Whatever I want to do, God says, I get to do that. Eugene Peterson, who wrote uh, the message, he says it like this. God does just as He pleases, however, wherever, and whenever. That's what it means to be God. And for whatever inexplicable reason, God is pleased to love wretched sinners like you and me. It pleases God to love you. He's not 
loving you out of, out of just a sense of obligation. He's not gritting his teeth. He's not rolling his eyes. It pleases the Lord to love his chosen people. He chose to love you before the foundation of the world. And so he loves you today. He loves you and will love you throughout all of eternity. Nothing you and I did, all because Christ absorbed the wrath that God had for us and our sin. Christ took that in His life and in His death, and He turned around and He gave us His righteousness. And so that when God looks at us, He only sees Jesus. In other words, we are wrapped in Christ's righteousness, and He loves us with the same amount of fervor and compassion and loyalty that He loves Jesus. And you have to take that one up with Martin Luther. That he loves us the same way that he loves Jesus. With the same amount, ferocity, throw in your adjective of choice. That's why we should praise the Lord. Because from no effort of our own, He loves us that way. So that's why when we flip the news on, or we're scrolling through Facebook, we begin to be inundated with news that scares us to death. That we don't have to fret. We don't have to start singing Merle's song. Okay? That we know that there's a God, the God, on the throne who loves us, who's committed to us, and He does whatever He pleases. He's not going to be stopped by COVID or politics or racial uh, issues or gender issues. He's not going to be stopped. That's what He promised to Peter. Remember Jesus' words, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. I mean, the psalmist is, is making these connections, right? He's saying, look, this is the God who makes lightning, makes clouds, sends the winds. That same God is the God who loves you and wants to have compassion on you. And so we don't need to panic when we begin to look at the news. And it seems so awfully bad because God is supreme. And he's committed, and I love this. Uh, if you'll go back and look at uh, verse 14. Psalmist says, The Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. He's been doing that since creation. I mean, Adam and Eve sinned, and God came down and said, I'll cover you. Gives animal skins and says, Look, it won't be like this forever. There'll be one who will come and he'll fight with the enemy and the enemy is going to bruise his heel, but ultimately Jesus Christ will crush his head. That was Adam and Eve. He saved Noah's family. 
in verses 11 and 12, well, really 8 through 12, talks about how he saved the Israelite people, the Hebrew children, from Egyptian slavery. And let me just, a side note right here. Verses 11 and 12, this is in, in the wandering of the Israelites. Okay, This is not like Israelites have arrived, they built the temple, everything's going well, we're, throw, you know, we're casting our crowns at Yahweh's feet. That's not what's going on. This is in the midst of murmuring and complaining and, being, and, and them saying, hey, you know what, we don't have any food. You know where we did have food? When we were slaves. Let's go back there. It's in the middle of all that, their rebellion. And even in the midst of their discipline and their difficulty and their hardship, the Lord blessed them with victory over their enemies. That's the kind of God that's committed to loving you. And I'm sure it was hard for them. And I'm sure the days seem really long. And I'm sure they felt the discipline of the Lord, but yet, even in the midst of that, the discipline itself even was the mercy of God to His people. He will preserve us. So as you're scrolling through Facebook and watching your news feed, I'd encourage you to look back at the faithfulness of the Lord. From Genesis to August 15th, 2021. That He is a God who has vindicated His people over and over again. And He's had compassion on His servants. And I'm not saying that that takes away all the hurt and brokenness of the world. But what I'm saying is there is a God who is in ultimate control of that. And that your brokenness and your hurt and the things that are going on in this world are not purposeless. They are all working to bring glory to God and good to His people. All right, last thing here. What do we praise? Maybe a better question would have been, what do we praise the Lord for? And I want you to look at verses 15 through 18. If you're my age, do you remember like every time you went to the doctor? Maybe this is still a thing, I don't know. And they had the little highlights magazines, you know, like kids' activities. You are tracking with me? Okay, people who are not my age, who are younger, are highlights. Are we still doing that? Okay, okay, good. So sometimes in those highlight magazines, there was always one of those, like, what picture does not fit? And you were, like, supposed to pick out the oddball that didn't go with the other three. Okay, that's how I feel about verses 15 through 18 of this psalm. Like, it's just rolling along. It's like, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. You know, He's great. He's And then you get down here, and He's like, all of a sudden, He just, like, hangs a left. And He's like, hey, let's talk about idols. And it to me, at on the surface, that doesn't really fit. Okay? However, after studying the psalm, I'm like, oh, this makes perfect sense. So let me see if I can get us there. You really got to connect that section with the very end of 14 that talks about the Lord having compassion on His servants. So what does the Lord having compassion on you look like? Well, it looks like He's opened your eyes 
to the truth about idols. He's opened your eyes to the truth about Jesus Christ. Being the only true source of hope. Just think back to John 3 where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he tells Nicodemus, you can't even see the kingdom unless you're born again. In other words, Nicodemus, you you need new eyes if you're going to see the value, the eternal value of the kingdom. And so when we get to 15 through 18, and, and the psalmist talks about the idols of other nations being silver and gold, they can't talk, they can't speak, they have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. They have a mouth, but they, there's no breath in there. They're not alive. What I think he's communicating to the people of Israel is, they're, remember, they're marching up towards Zion to worship God. And the psalmist is saying, remember, this is not an idol you're going to worship. And remember... You're not dead like these idols and those who worship Him. You have eyes to see Zion, to see the eternal value of belonging to Yahweh. You have heard the voice of the shepherd. You have mouths to praise Him, to speak on His behalf, to cast that light on His glory to radiate who God is. This could be a warning to some degree to those who are hoping in something other than Christ. Certainly need to give some thought. We typically uh, don't struggle with these kind of idols. I bet for the vast majority of you in this room, you don't have a little, a little carved wooden you know, eagle that sits beside your bed that you bow down to every night. But I think in one sense, our idols are worse. They're sneaky. They bubble up in our hearts. Sometimes we have trouble kind of putting our finger on it. But I bet sometimes the way that you react to the news is a telltale sign of what, it, what idols exist in your heart. And what I mean by that is when you see or hear somebody with whom you would disagree. What, what comes up out of your heart? Is it compassion and mercy and grace? Or is it, man, if I could just get that person in a room for five minutes, I could straighten them out. I'd give them a piece of my mind. When your civil, civil liberties seem to be dwindling and you're, you're falling apart because of that, what does that say about what's controlling your heart? What's worthy of your praise? And look, there's, there's nothing wrong innately with politics and civil liberties. And Okay, I'm not up here to bash that. But I'm saying there's one person who deserves the throne of your heart And it's not politics, and it's not civil liberties, and it's not even the good old U.S. of A. It's Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and us.
So often I think we get hung up on the blessings of the Lord. And we spend so much time thinking about the blessings and we forget about the blessor who deserves praise, who deserves our bowing before Him and worshiping Him. Idol worshipers are are not our enemies. That's our mission field. And so often my gut reaction to that news feed and those Facebook posts is to throw rocks, to just pray for the, the Lord to vindicate us. And rarely, and this is my sin, so I'm confessing now, does my heart immediately go to compassion and mercy. You've been given eyes to see and ears to hear. That doesn't make you superior. That makes you the Lord's. And I need to be reminded of that. As I take the gospel in a merciful, compassionate way to those who don't have those eyes and don't have those ears. All right. How in the world, how does this affect our lives? Okay, we know who we're going to praise, Yahweh. Why we're going to praise Him? Because He opened up our blind eyes. What do we praise Him for? Whatever you can think of. The next time you open a newspaper or turn on the news or scroll through Facebook, and it seems very much like evil is winning, I just encourage you, don't despair. Don't fret. Don't let that, that initial response of fear and anxiety be what determines how you respond. Begin to praise the Lord. See what happens to your heart. See what happens to your mind. See if that doesn't fuel your compassion for these people whom we adamantly disagree. Because when we do respond in those ways to our culture, it communicates something about God. It communicates some untruth about God. That maybe he's, He can't keep all this uh, that's going on out there together. He's losing control. It's spinning into chaos. Or that those things out there are purposeless. That there's no creator, sovereign king who's behind all these things. Look, even Merle Haggard came around at the end of his song. Right? You guys that are Merle fans, you remember. He ends up saying right at the end, The best of the free life is still yet to come. And the good times ain't over for good. What's crazy about that is only believers can really sing that with any kind of gusto. Because this world out here, this isn't it. This isn't the end. This is so true for God's people. Our best life is yet to come. So to spend 
heartache and anxiety and fear over what's going on in this world and not letting our hearts pour out in praise to Yahweh is to not really understand who you are as one of God's chosen people. It's tough, all right? I'm not just ostrich with head in the sand. I get it. It's tough out there. But there's a day coming where there will be no more division, no more death, no more COVID, no more heartache. And we will dwell with God for all eternity face to face. So in the meantime, you can listen to Merle. That's fine. Okay. But don't adopt that attitude of despair. Instead, hear these last three verses of Psalm 135, and may this be an encouragement in the face of all the uncertainty we're dealing with. O house of Israel, bless the Lord. O house of Aaron, bless the Lord. O house of Levi, bless the Lord. You who fear the Lord, bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord from Zion, who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. May that be said of Redeemer Church of the Shoals and all God's people. Let me pray. Father, help us to do this. So easy to stand here, preach these words, draw these conclusions. Lord, it's so much harder to live that in the face of adversity, whatever that might look like. So, Holy Spirit, would you be at work in my heart and the hearts of these people? Father, what we really want to be is a group of people who worship you in our homes, at work, in our neighborhoods, where we play. Father, all those places, all of our abilities, all our... Um, God, gifts, may we use those to throw the spotlight on you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.